The Glue Guys is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Nets ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest and easiest way to get into the game. The app is simple, quick, so easy to navigate. Just takes two taps to check out. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome back to Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Flat. Disgusting. Check us out on Twitter, at BK Glue Guys. The Athletic, NetsDaily.com. Everywhere in the world, Brian, the Nets are back. A real stock car now. Picking up these sponsorships all over the place. Um, oh, yeah. We do have a lot of sponsors. Yeah. This has been sponsored by Game Time. Wow. I guess I probably shouldn't mention that because some, if you're an athletic subscriber, you do not get ads. So if you're an athletic subscriber, don't listen to the thing I just said. Brian, the Nets are back. Wow. Wow. Did you, have you been, has it, I don't. Have I been worried? <laughs> <laughs> have I been worried about the Nets? Do you want to talk about Chinese rust? Is it still Chinese rust, Mike? <laughs> Can we keep saying that over and over again? And it finally works. Um, that wasn't that much fun after a certain point, Mike. The Pacers game. So we're that, potting. We're, yes. The Pacers game was last night. This is Thursday. The day after, a day, a day we'll always remember. Um, not a day that will live in yeah, in infamy, um, averageness. Well, gosh, what do we do? We have any spicy takes? I mean, I really am eager to continue to pin this on Chinese rust. Um, they yes. said it's like a month, right? We got a month of rust. Yeah, a month of rust. So what we'll do? We'll talk a little bit about the issues going on with the Nets. Um, KD was on Kevin Durant. For those that you don't know his nickname, uh, he was on First Take. In ESPN program, I have a little bit. The thing I care most about is the one thing he talked about in terms of his injury. So we'll play a bit of that. Credit to ESPN for that interview. And then we have an interview coming up of our own at the end of the podcast. Tim Donahue, the infamous NBA referee. There's a movie coming out about him this Friday called Inside Game. And that's why we got Tim on the line. So we're going to talk about that and refereeing wow what a fun what a fun episode <laughs> we've got lined up what a strange episode it yeah. really is yeah um you know what also is strange brian go on the nets um yeah yeah i mean what do we what do you want to talk about i mean for me like what's i mean what isn't you were what pretty did, mad during the game i was really text triggered messages. i was incredibly triggered by the end of that game i mean i so here's what the watching demontis sabonis just <laughs> do whatever he wanted was that felt unfair that felt like a person that should not be doing whatever he wants in this life the feeling i felt was like i was ready to trade karis levert and jared allen for sabonis in that moment i was thinking <laughs> wow god it would be yeah. dope to have a sabonis yeah it'd be lovely to have like that's why you're not gm like, yeah i know because i'm yeah. i i have Super no patience impulsive. i don't want to blow it up immediately um but i mean honestly the so okay what's going on with this team what is going on with this team and you know i i rang the the defense sucks alarm in the last episode we did earlier this week, but the defense sucks. And, but really the biggest symptom of this team, and I, I hope people do realize this because I'm going to defend the nets a little bit is that 
the the team isn't gelled. Kenny Atkinson referenced this in his post game after the Pacers, saying basically that they don't run plays because they don't have the ability to at this moment to actually run a play. The offense. So this offense is all based around Kyrie. Everyone going on one on one. Torian Prince is just jacking up shots. Do you know, Brian, if you're an athletic subscriber, you get John wow. Hollinger's analysis, theathletic.com slash glue guys. Wow. Um, not the glue guys, but just slash glue guys. In John Hollinger's piece, I think it was last week, he does a piece every Friday or so. There's a provision in Torian Prince's contract that he gets like something like three hundred thousand dollars of a bonus if he shoots more than seven threes per thirty six minutes a game. And shoots it at a higher clip than like forty percent. I literally and the, it, in Hollinger's piece, it talks about the fact that like it's a pretty not attainable thing. Yeah, that's a tough one. Forty percent be, because you have to be good at shooting and you have to shoot it consistently. Because there was a player in the league last year who hit a certain percentage mark, but then just stopped shooting threes in the game mm-hmm. so that he could make that money. I think Torian Prince is only thinking about the first part of that because all he does is jack up shots. At the moment that he gets an opening, I'm a little bit worried about our Torian Prince, but well, overall, man. <laughs> but wait, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I would say like the the defense stuff is pretty tri- like pretty obviously at the at the center of the issue here. Um, like we were saying, Demonte Sabonis just putting his head down and, and just headbutting his way into the paint like time and time again on Jared Allen um, was painful, and it made me long for the days of, of your boy Dudley. I want some dud bat, <laughs> some dud bot on this team um, just to just to stop exactly that kind of. He was a perfect person to dump on a post player like that, um, and we don't have that. And we're also missing Demari Carroll. The, the Demari Carroll for Torian Prince. Um, swap is like you know whatever there's still like a small sample size theater and let's not jump to conclusions but damari carroll had a way of being at the right place at the right time on defense in a way that torian prince does never seem to be that way and similarly to a lesser extent david nwaba and like ronde hollis jefferson nwaba is like frequently just kind of spun around like seeming like missing uh, an assignment somebody's doing a backward backdoor cut on him and uh like ronde hollis jefferson had plenty of his own issues don't get me wrong but defensively he was like a guy that you could stick on people on on a larger guard or forward and like he could sort of dig his way out of a like uncomfortable post position oftentimes um so it's like that those those names that seem to not really matter last year or like on like when we lose in the off season it's like oh that's sad but like whatever like yeah fine go away (laughs) they seem to really have they they kind of are making the difference for this little transitional period that we're in i'm not saying that this is the way it's going to be forever whatever but um i think it is the reason for this current little spell we're in this funk this early season china rust funk yes i mean if i had to if i had to diagnose it with something that that's sort of where i would go with it and um, the sabonis issue so the issue of like a big burly center who can actually do something offensively you know so they get deandre jordan we all love Ed Davis. DeAndre Jordan should be more impactful overall defensively in a game, though Ed Davis is like underrated defensively. So, okay, all props to him. Oh, right, Ed Davis too. That's yeah. part of this. So, like, you get you get DeAndre Jordan. You're feeling pretty good about what you're going to get from your center position throughout the 48 minutes of a game between Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. But what you're actually getting is two pretty similar players, guys that can block shots but aren't 
the type that would body up a Sabonis and be able to stop him. Now, like it's, it's, it is weird to see DeAndre Jordan get back down because like he looks larger than most people, but his leg strength is just not there. It's a he's a leaper. He's a vertical player. He's not grounded in that way. And that and then he's like Jared in that play. In that way, it's like they're both. They can both come over off of their man to block a shot and impact a game that way. Jared Allen is, you know, like freakishly good at stopping even the best players in the NBA, of course, in blocking their shot. But when he's on a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, like Demonis Sabonis, and there's like actually a pretty wide range, like in terms of talent between Carl Anthony Towns and Sabonis. Sabonis talented, but he shouldn't he shouldn't be the type of player that is wrecking the Nets as well as he did in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're right. It ha- the Nets need a big fat dude. Not that Jared Dudley was fat, but we compared him to a a bundle of potatoes, mm-hmm. a, a a potato sack with the way that he would shove his body around. Just he just like hold on to you like an anchor, you know. That's what the team kind of needs to make a trade. Who is the fattest, stockiest player that they can get at this point? I don't know. I, I if where's, I was Sean Trevor Marks, Booker? Trevor Booker has got to be looking for for some action, but he's too skinny now. That's my thing. I, oh, he got lean, huh? So I'm I'm if I'm Sean Marks, okay. You just tell uh, DeAndre Jordan to get to do hit the hit whatever foods fatten your legs. What are the what are those foods? So when I was in high school, <clears throat> good, okay, <laughs> can speak from speak from experience here. I'm I was I was at two twenty playing. Offensive line. Wow, two twenty. Two twenty playing offensive you're, line as a junior. Five eleven, six foot. Six foot. Six foot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the way that I'm six foot, probably yeah. five ten. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I just got measured in height the other day. Really, five eleven with shoes. Ouch. Ah. Um. Anyways, but uh, like the rest of the NBA, my height has been. Wait, you asked the doctor to do you in shoes like like a pre no pre they didn't 2019 seem to... combine. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't seem to care that I was in like they <laughs> what they didn't. Well, they just, I, they, it wasn't like, I was getting checked for um, an ear infection, so I don't think my height and weight really ultimately it's mattered. Like, they were like, oh, you're below 6'1"? Don't worry, you can wear shoes. <laughs> <laughs> they tracked me as I was walking, and yeah. this guy kind of needs yeah. that, yeah. the emotional boost of being yeah. six foot. Yeah. Um, but I was 220 in high school as a junior, and I lost a whole bunch of weight, went down to 160. What happened was I stopped eating lasagna before I fell asleep. I used to eat a, a post-dinner lasagna. Every day? Once a week, once a week. Who's making all this lasagna? You could get the Stovers. They would have like, and it would it would be for an individual though. It's really too large for just one individual. But I would eat a post dinner lasagna. Yeah, fantastic. So I lost all this weight. Football coaches started seeing me in the hallways, getting mad, and they say, "Go drink milkshakes, Mike." Uh Mike. So DeAndre Jordan needs to have, but he's vegan. We so we need an oat milk milkshake. We need a good oat milk milkshake with some some cocoa beans. Oh man, maybe some strawberries in there. A little chocolate, no, that's little strawberry. Not do it at all. That's not. You need that dairy, that that dumpy dairy. He needs to. But that's the thing. He can't. He can't have it. So nuts. We're gonna be feeding this guy nuts? peanuts. Are nuts good for you? I mean, they're What's fine. The- but you you want to you want to <laughs> thicken up those those man buns. You're gonna want more than nuts. All right, we'll, we'll need to discuss. Um, by the way, we we need to take a break soon. Oh. Because we're gonna have Tim Donahue on. So okay. what we'll do is Let's take a break now. We're gonna take a break now. Then you're here, Tim Donahue, and then afterwards we're gonna come back, talk more Nets, KD, and going forward how we're gonna fix the team because that's what we're gonna do. Really cool. First and foremost, you have a movie being made about your life inside game. Just what is it like to have you know an actual movie being made about your life and you're seeing sort of your life play out 
on a big screen like this? You know, honestly, it's a little bit embarrassing. Or I should say a lot embarrassing. I was embarrassed in 2007 uh, when I got caught doing what I did and to see it play out in a Hollywood movie brings back a lot of ma- bad memories and it's just as embarrassing today as it was 10 years ago. So it's really, uh, even though I've seen it three or four times, it's tough every time to watch it. So why then did you agree? Because I imagine you had to agree to have your name a part of it or maybe that's not the case. You know, Why did you kind of agree to be a part of a whole sort of the marketing push of this movie and be a part of the movie? Uh, at first, I didn't want anything to do with it. I, I turned the whole deal down. Uh, they still made the movie. They said that they were going to do it with or without me. After it was made, uh, they came to my house and they showed it to me. Paulie Martino and Tommy Martino came to Sarasota, Florida and, and showed me the movie. And I, I really thought that there was a great message in the movie about personal choices and how those personal choices not only affect you, but the people you love the most and not your family. Uh, that was one reason why I got involved. And another reason was because they're making donations from Tommy's book, Inside Game, and the movie Inside Game, to a school that I used to do a lot of work at called Elwin, which is a school for handicapped physically and mentally for children in the Philadelphia area. So I felt after I really thought about it that, you know, after everything being so negative uh, about the story, that finally with this positive message and the donations that something good and positive was going to finally happen with the whole story. So that's why I got on board. And you said it was, it's embarrassing, and it must be tough to sort of look back on that time, and probably particularly in the way a movie is shot and discussed and sort of stylized, it's probably not the best light that you'd want to put on it. But when you saw it, how accurate do you think the movie is from what you actually experienced? It's, it's extremely accurate when you talk about uh, the three of us uh, setting up the scheme and, and, and gambling and doing what we did. Uh, they do, uh, you know, add some things to it that, that Hollywood does. And, and they have me drinking bourbon, which I, I really never did. They have me smoking from a bong, which, you know, I never did. Uh, you know, there's a lot of girls in the movie. I can only wish that I was uh, that lucky with the women. But uh, there are some things that really Hollywood threw into it that, that spiced it up a little bit. But the, the, the story there is, is correct. And you know, it's, it's one of personal choices and, and poor choices and, and not only how it affected ourselves, but our family, which was very hard. You're here now and you've had a, you have this movie made about you, but I want to kind of go dip all the way back. You know, what, what got you into refereeing in the first place? Because for myself, it's always something I wonder about when I look at umpires and refs. They get yelled at by players constantly, they get yelled at by managers constantly. It's a tough position. No fan base likes a referee. You know, everyone gets mad at refs at various times. So what made you originally, when you go all the way back, want to get into this business in the first place? Yeah, my father, I don't know that people realize this, but he refereed in the Final Four several times in the 1990s. He was a top college basketball referee. And where I'm from, uh, we had a lot of referees that made it to the NBA that passed that craft down to the younger guys. So, uh, you know, refereeing in the NBA is a great job. It pays well. You have your summers off. Uh, you're staying in some nice hotels, and, and you're able to uh, afford a nice living for your family. So when people think, oh, it's tough to get yelled at, hey, if you're going to pay me three hundred grand a year, you can yell at me all you want. So uh, you, you just have to let that kind of stuff you know, roll off your back and go out and do the best job that you can do. Well, and, and, and so obviously your story is all you know, tied up into what happened in the sports gambling realm as well. I don't think a lot of people understand exactly what may have happened. And and from all understanding from the FBI, from the NBA, fixing games was not a part of the equation. It was giving of information. Can you kind of describe what you've already admitted to 
what exactly you were a part of. Sure. It was a matter of uh, transferring uh, wagering information over state lines, which was really inside information based on relationships that existed between referees and players, referees and coaches, and referees and owners, and how those relationships spilled out onto the floor and it affected the point spread. Uh, also, uh, I used um, you know information on what the NBA wanted called in a game that night and knew that the team was going to be put at an advantage or a disadvantage, and that was stuff uh, that I was privy to with my job that I wasn't allowed to uh, use and, and transfer over state lines, and I did. So I was charged with gambling and, and uh, the Wire Wager Act, which was something that they can really charge you uh, doing any crime. It falls under really the Wire Wager Act. So uh, it was just a situation where I, I crossed lines that I shouldn't have been near having information and, and passing it along to where people were able to make millions of dollars betting on the games. When you say that you, I think you said that the NBA sort of would tell referees ahead of a game how they wanted certain things to be officiated. What's an example of that? And what, in what way does that impact a game when you say that? Well, when you talk about the playoffs in the NBA, they put the referees in a, in a room and, and they tell the referees what to look for and concentrate uh, and points of emphasis for that game that night. And when a team's down in the series two games to none, they'll tell you, uh, you know, look, Yao Ming's moving his pivot foot here. We want that call tonight. Or Yao Ming's setting illegal screens. That's a point of emphasis that we need cleaned up tonight. And, uh, you know, yet uh, Houston was up two games to none in that series, and and Dallas was down. So it put Dallas at an advantage and and Houston at a disadvantage. And the next thing you know, the series is tied two games to two, and the uh, NBA is going to make an enormous amount of more revenue because we're going to go to six and possibly seven games in in a playoff series. So, that's the type of information and that's the type of manipulation that the NBA did during the playoffs. Do referees, to your mind, have like least favorite rules, things that they just kind of generally don't look for because they're harder to call or for all those reasons, just like they kind of fall out of favor over the course of a season? Is that often like what the NBA is guarding against or how does that work exactly? You know, I mean, for sure, there, there's uh, situations where referees either like a, a player or a coach and and uh, advantages or disadvantages spill out onto the floor. And, and the uh, NBA has points of emphasis during the year, and it, it affects certain players and certain teams. And I was able to take that and realize that the lines were off by four or five or sometimes six points and pass that along to people uh, that were able to gamble and make an enormous amount of money off it. There's this large outside the lines ESPN story that was written about the whole your whole situation. I don't maybe a few years ago back. And there's a moment in there where they're interviewing an FBI agent, Phil Scala, and he talks about how a story in the New York Post came out after a lot had been discovered that tipped off the world to what you are alleged to have done or are now convicted to have done and others. The belief from this FBI agent was that they were going to get you to wear a wire and to possibly catch other refs who may have been perpetrating the same sort of things. What, I mean, is any of that ring a bell to you or is any of that aligned with what you remember from that time? Oh, 100%. Yeah, Phil Schuyler wrote the forward for my book, Personal Foul. Uh, said I told the truth at every turn, which was uh, helped me out tremendously with this whole story. But yes, what they wanted to do was they wanted me to wear a wire so that they understood, uh, you know, what I was doing and how I did it and the advantages and disadvantages that were taking place. Uh, and I think that the NBA caught wind of that somehow 
and they were able to feed the story to the uh, New York Post reporter to break it so that everybody knew not to speak to me. So when you were to wear the wire, was it during games and was it along with other referees or is that is it more about the outside world from how you were influencing games itself? What well, I think what the they wire? were going to do was maybe have me uh, meet with some of the other referees and and discuss, you know, different things and, and get them on tape saying or agreeing to, you know, what I had, you know, known in the past. And uh, it was when I was meeting with the FBI, the season was uh, almost over. So it would have been just maybe phone calls or, or guys in the local area because everybody knew that Dick Bavetta was saying that he was the NBA's go-to guy. He was put on game sixes to force game sevens. So this was openly discussed, and I think that they wanted to get stuff like that uh, you know, recorded so that they could confront the NBA or, or other referees with it. And, and so it seems like, you know, because you've made, you know, accu- not accusations, but you've made your own point of view about, um, you talk about the Sacramento Lakers game, game six, where, you know, pretty much the world while watching that game felt like that game was something odd was happening in terms of the slant over to the Lakers. But that's not necessarily gambling, sports gambling related from what you're understanding, right? It's more of that the NBA is saying we would like a game seven in this circumstance if we can get it or there's a belief that the refs may want to deliver it. How would you sort of classify that? Oh, yes, 100 percent. But what you have to understand, too, and this is the way the FBI explained it to me, the NBA is, is entertainment. So really, it's no different than professional wrestling. They can put that entertainment on and do whatever they want to do with that product. Uh, you know, most people think that it's a, a competitive sporting event, but it is entertainment. And that's what it says at the end of every broadcast, NBA, a form of entertainment. So uh, even if, if we were able to get somebody on tape saying those things, the NBA was protected, uh, you know, by the way they portrayed it. When officiating, I wonder if it's generally seen as okay to like sort of philosophically do makeup calls, like in legal offices or behind the scenes. Are, are referees uh, supposed to be arbiters of, of like objectivity, or do they understand that that's sort of unrealistic? I mean, there's definitely makeup calls. There's a situation where you you give a call to somebody at one end of the floor, and it may not be the best call that you make. And you get a lot of heat for it, and you want to go down the other end, and you want to get everybody off your back. So what you do is you you give them another maybe wrong or cheap call to kind of even it out. So makeup calls, uh, you know, when I was officiating or something that uh, you know were prevalent in the game, I think now today they want the officials to just eat the fact that if you make a bad call, you know, don't go down the other end and compound it by making another bad call and have everybody saying that it was a makeup call. I think they want that out of the game because. You know, people are starting to catch on as to, you know, the craft of officiating and they have a set of rules and they need those rules enforced as they're written in the rule book. And the problem with the NBA is there's so much subjectivity and the fact that they want the names refereed on the front and the back of the jerseys versus how the rules are written in the rule book. And that's where they get themselves in, in a lot of trouble. Right. Yeah. Is there like a actual like is that consensus that the league is okay with star players having star treatment from refs or is that do they even like acknowledge that that's a bad thing or I mean how do they react to that? You know, obviously they tell you. Listen, people don't pay two thousand twenty five hundred dollars to sit courtside and bring their son or daughter and have uh, and want you know one of the star players from either the home or the away team to sit on the bench because that's who they pay to come and see so you know you have to be aware of of who you're calling the fouls are on and and what the extent of it's going to be so if a star player has one or two fouls and he's in the play and there's another foul you have to dish that foul off or give it to somebody else so that that guy doesn't 
go to the bench. So here's a conspiracy for you. So Nets fans have been upset about the uh, last two minute reports in the past. Like in, I think, um, 368 had an article about how the Nets had led the league in most incorrect calls at the end of a game. Um, and obviously Nets fans who have this conspiratorial mind are saying that this proves the bias in the media and just in general about the team. Um, so do you at all like agree that there could be unconscious biases that, that play into this? Or is that just, you know, someone, one team has to be first and that's just happens to be the next. Yeah. One team has to be first, but if the NBA wants to be extremely transparent and what would help them with that is release the report for the whole game. They have the data on the entire game. Why not put that for the fans to see, which will educate the fans and help them understand uh, the game better. So if you're going to just put it out for the last two minutes, I think that's foolish when you have it for the whole game, release the report for the whole game so that the fans can see, you know, the whole situation that took place the entire game. I have, I just have one more for you and then we'll let you go here. Um, is it funny to you? Do you sit back now and think about, you know, I've covered the expansion of sports gambling across the country and the NBA is the most aggressive with trying to get sports gambling in every place possible. NBA owners are putting sports books in their arenas. Uh, the NBA sends their legal teams to states to help craft legislation so that they can make it mobile betting because the NBA actually wants betting to be out there for everyone and that's something that they can control. Is it odd to you now that when you look back at what happened to you in your situation that now the NBA is is so on the side of sports gambling and you were uh, made out to be this black sheep because of your, you know, obviously you did some, something wrong, but your relationship with sports gambling. Uh, definitely. I mean, it, it's something that now has, has become legal and, uh, you know, with their problems in China and the revenue that they're going to most likely lose from that, uh, you know, has to be made up somewhere and they're going to make it up uh, like you said, and, and the revenue from the gambling, uh, the stream, that's going to be enormous. Uh, you're going to be sitting in a, an arena and uh, being able to swipe your credit card and bet whether James Harden makes 10 three-pointers or not. And if the game's a 20 or 30-point blowout in the past, everybody would leave, but now they're going to stay in their seats because they have uh, money on interactive gambling. So it, the, the revenue stream is, is enormous. And and they're going to take advantage of it because it is a business, it is entertainment, you need to make money. So uh, it, it does it bother me that it, it evolved this quickly when, you know, gambling was so taboo and, and, and I paid a huge price for it? Absolutely. But like you just mentioned, I, I made some poor choices and crossed a line that I shouldn't have, and unfortunately I had to pay the price for it. Do you think that the fact that now gambling is going to become sports gambling is going to be legal pretty much in every state across the country or most states across the country eventually, let's say in five years? Do you think that makes the situation more ripe for another one like the one that you had? Or do you think because now it's out in the open that it's less likely there could be another Tim Donahue situation? I think it's less likely at the professional level because I think they're going to definitely uh, educate the referees and the players better than what they did when I was there. I think where you're going to see the next scandal is at the college level when they're going to say to a kid who's not going to make it to the next level and not make any money uh, playing the sport, here's 20 grand, you're favored by 15, win by 14, 13, 12, just don't win by 15. There's, there's no problem with doing that. You're still going to win. You're not going to hurt your team in any way, shape, or form. And you're going to put an extra 20, 25 grand in your pocket. I think that's where you're going to see the next major scandal. All right, Tim. Well, I really appreciate you talking to us. Thanks for uh, joining us here on The Glue Guys. Yeah, and, and real quick, just uh, with the movie Inside Game, it's really portrayed well 
uh, in the whole situation about how, uh, you know, the, the people associated with organized crime were able to put these enormous amount of uh, bets down. And, and it's really intriguing and interesting to see. So we're hoping it really helps people, uh, you know, understand, uh, you know, the gambling aspect in professional sports. Well, that was their Tim Donahue interview. Thanks for coming on, Tim. Anyways, yeah, let's talk about the Nets. Let's talk about moods. Talk about moods and angry moods, apparently. Swinging moods. Um, Of course, there's this Jackie McMullen piece about the Nets. It kind of ignited the Nets fan base very early on. I didn't expect the sort of, um, not anti-Kyrie stories, how it's described, but more of the, it's not a positive headline talking about the the Nets and Kyrie Irving. And it came so early. Mm -hmm. And... My main overall feeling about it, and I actually agree with Kevin Durant on this, um, is that Kevin just in the article even said Kyrie is an artist and you kind of have to just leave him alone if he's in a certain mood because when the game starts, he's going to deliver the thing that he continues to deliver. And I don't in my head. I think the Nets understand this better than almost any franchise in terms of how to handle different types of people because they they constantly talk about how they're they're analyzing all this stuff culture 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 i want to talk about these searing indictments individually though the one that people seem to like take uh and run with is the him wanting to keep a hat on during this first of all the guy must have had five thousand pictures taken over him taken of him over the course of that trip good point and i'm a guy that wears a hat preach i'm a guy that wears a hat when my hair's looking dumb and if i don't have to take off my hat for a picture i'm probably not going to and uh, especially because I'm going to have a big dent in my head <laughs> and I don't want a picture with a dented head unless I really have to, unless I was supposed to have my hair done and I didn't, you know, then I'll take it on the chin. But, um, so, okay. Throw that right off the table for me. It's still a chillabrew. Passes the chillabrew test. Yeah. Um, maybe the like Photoshop it out thing is, I think that's more just like, look, you've had 5,000 pictures of me. If you really like, you need this one against this one. a smoggy China. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause then we all saw the shot. Like if you haven't seen the photo, it's like a team photo on top of a tower in Shanghai, I believe. And it's sure. like not impressive photo. It's, Suck on that Shanghai. It's like a second grade <laughs> yeah. classroom photo. Yeah. yeah it's smoggy. And honestly, Curry's hat looked great. I'm going to defend the guy. Looked yeah. great in the photo. Wow. Made him stand out, Brian. Um, and then what I don't else? Know. Uh, so what were the other ones? I forget. I think my my biggest issue with the piece is that obviously Nets people talk to Jackie McMullen about this, and I'm not. And you know, I'm a journalist, and you know, I want everyone to be open and honest and talking about what they want to do because that makes journalism better. But like already you're you're having people within the Nets organization feeling like they may want to express these feelings to outside sources. And in my head, it's like is why why is it already there? Why are we here's already what, there? Here's with what him? I would do. So you're a journalist, you're all like I'm free media. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I'm autocratic. If I were Sean <laughs> Marks, I'd be digging through each and every training staff member's personal history, <laughs> looking through their DMs. I want to know if anyone's got a cousin in Boston. And yeah. firing people unilateral. No, not firing. I'm just kidding. Uh, but and I'm just kidding about this entire thing. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, like, well, I don't know. Um, it seems to me that like there's a obvious mic- magnifying glass scope, a magnifying a magnifying glass. tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, used to magnetize uh, Kyrie Irving's comings and goings in a way that we are not used to having watched lesser stars come and go. Good um, point. And that is 
super true of Kevin Durant, who's just like already in the media and like sort of being like continued to be asked like about him, uh, about when he's coming back and, you know, his mood and all that stuff. People are putting a real premium on their moods in a way that we have never heard. Nobody asked Spencer Dinwiddie or D'Angelo Russell about their mood ever at any point. Um, and that's just like a different that comes. I guess that comes with the territory in, it in does. today's um, media empire bubble world ecosystem ecosystem um and but i would i mean and it's not that i'm saying that that you know that's not jackie mcmillan's responsibility if that's what's she's picking up off the streets then okay there you have it i do think it's interesting to take a i don't want to wear i don't want to take off my hat thing and and make that a searing indictment of a person um that doesn't seem to 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 work for me that doesn't yeah and and i wouldn't even say that is i mean when unfortunately what happens when so uh, i'm not saying she's making the indictment i'm saying the people the audience who's reading that and retweeting it exactly so that's what happens is that what you get is you'll get the aggregated headline of Kyrie refuses to take off hat and makes a low-level staffer edits out his head or whatever you know it's like so that's what develops and i also think the big important thing is the book is sort of out on Kyrie. The Nets understood by going into this arrangement, of course, you're going to do it 100 times out of 100. doesn't matter how allegedly moody Kyrie is. They <laughs> they know, they knew it's who so he was, right? We, they had, there's enough information in the NBA of like, he is a guy who will often maybe close himself off from the other people around him. He will maybe be super happy one time and then kind of be standoffish another. That is known by the Nets. So what to me, it's incumbent upon Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson, and the rest of the players, honestly, to how to work with a talent like Kyrie Irving. The reason why he continues to get paid at the maximum amount of money in the NBA is because he is supremely talented. You and I saw it against the Timberwolves live and in person, the 50-point game, scintillating. Mm. Scintillating, Brian. I haven't seen anything quite like it in a long time. It was... It was the most enjoyable single performance I've seen on a basketball court besides Yi Jian Lian's Whoa. chair game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, but, ser- but so, okay, my big thing is like Kyrie is who he is. So why don't just why don't just form the team around of who, who he is and kind of treat him? Yeah. He's not going to change. Oh, well, it's also like my favorite like, thing is like when they're at, <laughs> like he'll have to do be like surrounded by press and they're like so are you moody were you being moody yeah which is like like what, what am know. i gonna say <laughs> like you ever been out at, out to lunch with your significant other and be like you're moody like i well i'm not moody oh <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah of course i so yeah. if if brian and i had to do press conferences after every podcast oh, man. it yeah. would be because i'm i'm Kyrie. i'm an artist <laughs> you know I, I i go in and out my emotions i'm like i'm the opposite what's who's like the dumbest most happy-go-lucky basketball player <laughs> He seems pretty no, chill. He's not dumb. He's just no. Yeah, he just seems chill. Just a dog guy. He's a dog person. Um, Theo Pinson, happiest yeah, guy. There you go. I'm Theo, Theo Pinson Pin- is literally yeah. the happiest guy. I'm not. In the I'm NBA. actually super moody too. I can I can send it back. By the way, I will say maybe Theo Pinson is the the special sauce within this team because I've seen Kyrie start dancing with Theo Pinson and Pinson's pulling it out of him. Yeah. It's like you know. So I'm a Nationals fan. I'm from DC. And I feel like I have to qualify that because we're on a Brooklyn Nets pod. And they're like, why you end up doing a Brooklyn Nets pod if you're from DC? But I'm from DC. I'm I'm a Nets and Nats fan. And yeah. what I saw out of Geraldo Parra, now this is a deep cut. He was an outfielder for the Nats, brought it out of Steven Strasburg. Strasburg is a star pitcher. Guys who have this infectious personality like Theo Pinson, 
can sort of turn people who maybe have a wishy-washy personality mm. into more positive than negative. Seriously, I honestly mean that the Nets, the moodiness. Okay, he, he may be moody. I think Spencer Dinwiddie said it perfectly, too. It's like, I'm moody. Kenny Atkinson's moody. Sean Marks is moody. Everyone has moods. We're not all California seasonless, right? Mm. Southern California. Is that what he said? No, this is what this I. Is, now this is my addendum. Interesting. We're 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 uh, you know the Northeast. Mm. We have a, a harsh winter, a brutal summer, kind of a nice spring. Mm. That's that Kyrie Irving. Five minutes. He's a Northeasterner. You know, mm. he's got moods. He's got seasons. He's a Jersey guy. He's a Jersey guy. Um. So I really think, I just think that the Nets. They knew what they were getting into early on, even though he hasn't done anything here, really all that negative. Thing. You and I, we took the bait. You know, it's not like we did anything to let this go. We are t- here. We are talking about moods, just like everybody else. Uh, we've, we've we've taken the bait and we've run off with it, like a cat and a dog pair that we are. The only thing that they have to ward off against is the shutdown Kyrie, like a like a a guy who gets so detached. But I will remind people, LeBron James is also a very moody person who happens to be the second best player in the NBA. Who's, who's the best player? I want, like, it's a two yes. graphs. Best player le- like and least, least moody. Least, yeah, we like, the double graph thing. Because it, Tim Duncan is classically known as, like, the, the non-prima donna superstar. But he also, like, he seems like the nicest guy in the world or whatever, but, like, hard to read, I think, is what you would classify that. Yeah, and you also kind of get the vibe from him that, like, everyone says he's a phenomenal teammate, but he also could be kind of a jerk but wow Whoa. like like you know says that? a sports jerk a though. sports jerk you know like hey you, you suck basically he yeah. says like to the to teammates maybe you know if you just I, I i urge everyone to go across all the nba teams like the all nba teams for the past few years look at each player how do we classify that person <laughs> talking about lebron james anthony davis Kawhi leonard mm. certainly can be a different personality all these guys are different in I think I, I almost think that to be a competitor at the highest level, you, it requires a certain level of moodiness, impatience for mediocrity. You know, hundred percent. That's a that's a thing. That's what I'm worried about with the Nets because yeah. they're mediocre, <laughs> mediocre <laughs> right now, yeah. and uh, Kyrie is like doing everything in the teams. Not that great, but again, uh, kind of going back to a point before we did the Tim Donahue interview, which is the the symptom of this team is a lack of familiarity defense is at its worst when there's a lack of communication. There's no communication on defense because these players aren't familiar with each other yet. Uh, the offense being stagnant, even though they're putting up the same amount of points. So, like, I'm not, like, all that worried about the stagnation of the offense. The offense is, though, stagnant. That's because they don't know how to run plays because they don't really know each other. And, you know, it's just awkward early on. If they end up being, you know, 10 and 15 to start the season, that would feel bad. But then if you go on through the rest of the season and they finally become cohesive as a unit, mm-hmm. then the ceiling is pretty freaking high. Because this is, if this is as bad as it gets, which it is defensively, offensively, I don't know where else they're going to go higher, how they could go even higher than this. But like this team still has all the, the makings of being actually oh. good at basketball. Oh, come on. Come on. Um, I'm going to put one little, like, put this earworm in into your ear um <laughs> i every year spencer dinwiddie comes out of the offseason with one little move 
that uh, is weird and good and works that he like just has like tacked onto his game and learned. You watch for this. You're going to see him instead of taking charges when there's like a fast break and he's the defender. He was going to go up with verticality. He's learned how to do this like little verticality challenge move. I've seen okay. it twice now. The Joe Harris, by the way. Yes, yeah. That's what Joe Harris. There is known. may have been a like a camp, a verticality camp. Um, <laughs> what the what a lame camp that would yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, that's about the like the coding uh, camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, that's where Spencer Dinwiddie was yeah. probably this summer. Um, so just watch out for that, okay? And every time it happens, you think of me. I think Dinwiddie, so he's not going to be, obviously a lot of NBA players have their own apps. He's going to be the first one to make his own app. He's going to figure out a way mm. to actually. Dude, he's making an Iron Man suit before he makes an app. That's the that's the real meme. If, oh, did you want to play the Kevin Durant thing or not? I, I do, but so we'll play this Kevin Durant bite from first take in a second. But is it good of Spencer Dinwiddie to like Iron Man so much? Is it good of him? Do you like Iron Man? Um, sure. I guess I don't. It's are you saying like why it in particular speaks to him? Yeah. Is it? <laughs> it's I'm like, judging him. Okay. I'm judging him a little bit. Why, like instead of like if you're going to be a wealthy person, why not be Batman versus uh, Iron Man? Like a wealthy human? No, no. If you're going to be any superhero, I wouldn't choose Iron Man. Well, because it's one of the actual few, like real, just a human in a in a thing that he invented, like in a in inside of his invention. Also, not the best teammate. Whereas, like Batman is not that, the best teammate to a certain extent. Less of less of the invention. He also inherited his wealth, which is, <laughs> makes him harder to root for. for difficult, my <laughs> difficult <laughs> subject in this in this particular political climate. Um, but whereas Tony Stark, a self-made man, I think. I no, no, he, he his, inherited his, his dad. His dad built Stark Industries, which he inherited oh, right. as well. But at least he's like an engineer of some kind. He's like, I mean, Batman's well, actually just, we don't know just a ninja. He's like, he can't monetize that. <laughs> just a ninja. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a ninja is also a good podcast name. Okay. Yeah. So what we have coming up is right now. So KD was on first take today, today being Thursday, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he spoke a lot about, you know, why he left the Warriors. He said that the Draymond Green incident impacted him but one particular thing for nets fans that we do care about is when kd may come back from injury and this is from Stephen a smith and kd talking on first take hopefully this audio plays well okay when the hell are you coming back is it possible that you're gonna come back this year not right now Hmm. i'm not thinking about it just rehabbing every day i'm still it's a slow process so i'm grinding are you holding out hope that at some point in time in the season, assuming, assuming the Brooklyn Nets have a successful season and they don't get to the playoffs again, mm-hmm. have you completely ruled out the possibility that you can return? Yes. You're done. We won't see you at all this year in a Brooklyn no. Nets uniform. No, I'm playing on it. Okay. So we just watched it. We saw it also this visually. A classic media grilling, grill fest. What do you think about that? Get the dogs. Get the burgers. We're grilling. KD said in that interview with Stephen A. Smith on first take that don't plan on it. No, not coming back. Not coming back. Don't plan on it. But that's not... But I mean, he said he, no. Under so much duress. Like, no, shut up. Stop. Describe stop his it. body language. It's Can stop you for asking me this question in different ways. I've given you my answer the way that... We should get a body language expert You're not going to get a yes or no answer out of this. That's what you want. And you're, There's a level of obvious equivocating I need to do in case I feel like I'm going to come back in the mid- middle of this stupid season. Obviously, that's what he's saying. I hope Kevin Durant goes back on this statement as much as Kyrie Irving went back on his statement to the Boston Celtics fans. The thing fans is, you're, the you're allowed to go back on this statement. Yeah. You're like, I felt better. Get out of my Everyone's face. Everyone's like, yes! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes! Okay. This is an well, easy one to go back on. One, I urge everyone to go go to First Take's Twitter page. They have the video up. You know, whatever you can find. You can probably Google it. Googling is a good way to find stuff on the internet. True. I've heard. True. 
Um, check out Katie's body language <laughs> as this is happening. He's all the signs. A, a, as big of a tell as John Malkovich in Rounders twisting an mm. Oreo, mm-hmm. Katie's piercing his lips. He's shifting in his seat. His he, head is craned ever, ever so slightly. He's he's saying it in a way. Okay, here's the evidence that we have. <laughs> we 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 have a pretty good idea that he's not going to play for a while. But we also know that this injury is people have come back for it in eight months. You know, in ten months, and ten months seems to be somewhat of the standard. Um, we also know that Kyrie Irving at a House of Kyrie event last week oh, not this again. said again. that we have a sleeping, sleeping monster on the bench. <laughs> in and, many, and, in 14 and, months. In, in months. In 25 we months. We have a sleeping, sleeping monster on the bench. Okay. Kyrie's saying that. Kyrie probably knows just, just say how many months. It could have been just any amount of months. Could have been, been 5,000 months. Could have been 5,000 <laughs> months. That'd be something. <laughs> yeah. um, so... Just watch the video, the shifting. I'm not going to... There's almost literally nothing he can say. He could say, Mike's... He, he could say to into, into the camera, Mike Smeltz, I am not coming back. And I would say, I don't believe you, Kevin. Because I'm looking at his body language. I'm looking at the way he's delivering that. And I think he knows that there's a good chance he's going to come back. But he also knows that what he has to continue to say as he does 18 million interviews to start the season, I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the best answer I've heard from him in terms of definitiveness in terms of he started out with the equivocating though and then when they doubled down he was like okay like no like i'm going to have to say this in the way that like you're not going to be able to like run like it's going to be a headline one way or the other it's going to continue to be a headline that i'm coming back and i also it's like a it's a percentage thing right there's probably like a 62 percent chance that he comes back this season and you can't say that right that's not a thing that you can you can come out and say he should say that yeah (laughs) let me ask you this What's the best way? I think I figured out. I've been thinking about this, and, and I'm going to develop it throughout the season. The best way for which KD to come back, okay? The best way for him to come back is it's going to be, hopefully it's not just in the start of the playoffs because you want him to come back in the season to kind of get in the flow of things a little bit. I mean, this team is so disjointed, I can't even imagine mm. inserting a player like him in, but it'd be pretty nice. I'm saying whatever game it is, regular season, he's on the bench in a suit to start in the first half he slips away with three minutes left in the first half where did kd go no one's watching no one's watching he's just going back to the bench going to the bathroom whatever he's doing second half comes out in the number seven black jersey brooklyn nets running onto the floor firing shots fire fireworks in hand and i want him to take every shot yeah i don't want anyone else to touch the ball that's how i feel about Kyrie irving right now i just want him to take every shot isn't that funny? Yeah, that, that changed quickly. <laughs> it's like I was like in the first half, I was like nice ball movement, and by the end of the third quarter, I was like nobody gets to touch this ball. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You're all dead to me. My thing is like I was fearful of the culture that Kyrie would, how he would impact the Nets culture. Mm-hmm. Kyrie should fit into the Nets culture. No, 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 no. Actually, these other guys aren't good enough for Kyrie. <laughs> a little. I mean, <laughs> the Nets need to play better. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a weird thing. Is it, is it a chicken? So here's the way I sort of think about like good teams. Like there's a system and as Kevin Durant will talk about, like a system's great until you need a bucket and then you want a guy that can get you a bucket. And I think that's like roughly kind of true of basketball. There's a certain extent to which like always doing your, your flex, your, your motion offense time and time and again down the floor is not going to get you what you want at the end of the game when it's really just about like 
you know, going to your most efficient scorers um, and getting that damn bucket at any at any cost. Um, and there's a little bit of both. You pepper that into your offense. So not like having not had any of like we, D'Angelo Russell to a certain extent could do that. He could get hot, but it was always from deep. It was a different kind of getting hot. He just pummel away some like eight threes or whatever. Well, and also he again, you know, I swear, you know, I don't know who's the D'Angelo Russell fan that's listening to us. It's really that upset at this point, but like he would never go to the free throw line. So like. It, yeah, part of becoming like an ultra level hot player in the NBA, a guy who could just like scorch hot, hot, hot. and the game is to be able to get to the free throw line. You yes. have to be able to do that to be so coming up. This will we'll end our pod. And thank you all okay. for listening. Wow. Pistons game on the road at the Pistons Saturday night. No, it's Rockets tomorrow. What are you talking about? The Rockets tomorrow night. <laughs> By the way, I don't know. Did you see the, the Rockets Wizards game last night? Did you see the score? From I that? did see it was like 160 to what is it? It was yeah. 159 to 158. Yeah. Rockets won. But uh, I'm playing against James Harden fantasy this week. Yeah, not great. Is that how it works? Um, I don't really play fantasy. Uh, I don't. I don't actually support sports gambling. I don't know why we hit Tim Gott. No, uh, fiery, fiery takes. Right. Uh, yeah, Rockets tomorrow, back to back Pistons. Then on the road against the Pistons. Then Monday night against the Pellies. Win, win, win. Wow, lots of games. Yeah, they play three in four days. It's terrifying. We're gonna stream. We're streaming maybe one of them. Which one? I know, I, I'm seeing Harry Potter on Saturday. Oh, God. I'm seeing the Harry Potter play. Oh. The Cursed Child. Oh, my Lord. Two showings. It's like five and a half hours of theater. Oh, my God. There's an intermission like for a couple hours. and then You're looking at me like that's not that sounds good to you. That's what scares me. You're in that face. Is it not? <laughs> is, I mean, no. Enjoy. That sounds nice. Wait, what was that our bet? Little... You're going to get a dog? Uh, if Are, what happens? For 50 wins. 50 wins. Oh, daddy. <laughs> Just so everyone's tracking that at well, home. Like a, a dog on its deathbed, we decided. <laughs> Again, that would be a nice thing. It sounds like a bad thing coming out of your mouth, but that's quickly, a nice thing. I could quickly form a relationship with a dog on its deathbed, I think, and send it off. God, that'd send be it a rough right. movie. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so that's our show. Um, thank you all for listening at BK Guys on Twitter. Hey, if you want to get 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash glue guys, not the glue guys slash glue guys. Brian. Hey. Thank you for listening. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. Yeah, boy.